I want to talk tonight about a fatal departure, something you don't want to do, but something that is happening in mass. And if you are familiar with the scripture, you know where I'm going, because that's what 1 Timothy 4 is talking about. Jesus said, first of all, in Luke 18 and verse 8, said, when the Son of Man come, when he returns, will he find faith on the earth? We've been here many times. This is the last days. This is a different time than has ever been. And every day we live, we're a day closer to when it's all over, when it's going to end. And we're at that time when these things are going to begin to accelerate. I'm not glad about that, but this is what Scripture says. And so Jesus asked the question, because the one thing that people, it appears, are going to depart from or leave is what the Bible calls the faith. Now, the, again, the faith could refer to a system of life that God has given us to live, a collection of doctrine that define for us how Christians live. That sometimes is referred to as the faith. But it would also include, the faith would also include how we relate to God, whether or not we depend on Him and count on Him and trust Him and rely on Him, or whether we just hear what the Bible says, but go about living what we think is the right way for us to live and really ignoring the Bible. That would be a departure. That would mean that you know the right way, but you're choosing not to do it that way. That would be a departure, and that's a fatal choice you make. There's two verses in Proverbs that says the same thing. It says, there is a way that seemeth right unto man. It seems right. I mean, everybody in a church setting would approve of it because of all the good ideas, lofty things, and the genuineness of your heart and everything in doing all of this. But he says, if it's not according to his word, even though people approve of it, it's death. Now, death to me is where I get the word fatal. And so in 1 Timothy chapter 4 and verse 1, Now the Spirit speaketh expressly, that in the latter times, and I, again, we've been dealing with this a lot, and I believe this is the way the Lord is leading this flock right now. This is what he is saying to us. In the latter times, he said, some shall depart from the faith. And the reason they will depart from the faith is because they will give heed to seducing spirits and doctrines that come from the devil. Now, the devil would not introduce you to a doctrine with blatant error. The devil would always have a mixture of Scripture, which people will always approve of, a mixture of Scripture, of logic and reason and common sense, so you can say, well, after all, I don't know why God would do that. Well, it would seem to me, and, and he makes that seem right. And that's promoted by the minds of man. It doesn't cost you anything to live that way. There's not much challenge to the Christian life that way. That's why it becomes so meaningless to so many people. That's why it's something you can take or leave. You can attend a meeting or stay home. It just doesn't have any real bearing on your life because it's not a defined religion. It's a way that seemeth right, but it's a way of death. And so because he said, the Spirit speaketh expressly that in the latter times some shall depart from the faith, those who do depart are making a fatal decision. Now, I ponder this subject a lot. 
I'm sure I think about it as much as anybody here and perhaps even more. It's a question like this. How can it be if you spent very much time listening to what, let's call it the truth, that's what it is, to listen to the truth, you've had those moments or days or times in which you were truly convicted of the rightness of God and the wrongness of your own life. You knew you were wrong. You knew you weren't living right. You're not really trying to, but you know you should. And you know the end result of your life is not good. And if you want to make it right, you've got to do it his way. That's simple. And you've been there. You've thought of it like that. Then you realize you're either in young years and you're busy with so many things to do, so many adventures to pursue, and, or you're older now and you just don't want to get into all, whatever it is. A lot of people are not pursuing after things of God. They're departing. They're drawing back. They're really not after something as much as they're satisfied with whatever it is they've got but they really don't look for more or they're not really interested in more. I don't understand that. Maybe it's because many years ago when I got saved, I had a, a heart to understand what this book is about. I wanted to know what it meant. I wanted to know why that said that. I want to know why Jesus did the things he did, which led me to look for answers. Anybody that could preach more than just John 3:16, I really wanted to hear what they had to say. Radio preachers, I listened to all of them I could find. And then you would run into certain special speakers you'd heard of. I'd go try to hear what they had to say. I had a quest for knowledge. I want to know what it meant. I wasn't planning on being a preacher or a teacher. I had no designs on what I'm doing. I was a basketball coach in a high school with a hunger just to know what this means. What I found was the more that revelation of it came to me, the more it took on a deeper meaning and thus a deeper root. And the more you would begin to apply that knowledge or that light to your life and live it, the more the experience made you stronger. You wanted more of it. It's like going to a good restaurant and eating it was such a good meal, you look forward to going back and eating there again because it was good. I mean, you didn't sit in there and eat tasteless food and then leave half of it there and go home and pay a healthy bill. You went there because you heard about it and you ate and, man, this is good. I'm going to come back and get some more. You were hungry for it. What I don't understand is those who have tasted of the Lord, you've had a taste of it, maybe not a deep experience, but you've had a taste of it. How do you walk away from this? How do you trade it in? How do you accept something way less? Why is it that people depart? What does the devil say to people? What kind of doctrine do these seducing spirits say that make more sense than what God says? Is it because we've never really gotten into it like we're supposed to so that it feeds us and we just sort of on the fringes? Or have we really tasted of this word to see how good it is? and enjoy it. There's a lot of reasons people leave. You know, the rich young ruler, he walked away because of money. Remember that? He walked away because it was going to cost him everything he'd worked so hard to get. And Jesus said, sell it all and give it to the poor. Well, that's, uh, that, that, I'm, I'm not into that. 
But because he had already determined how far he was willing to go into Christian life or walking with Jesus, he would do most anything, but he wasn't going to do that. And so he walked away. He was sad. Or, you know, there was a parable, the sower and the seed. He began this life well with joy. Immediately, the Bible says he received the word and, and he was exuberant about it and all of this. But he said, by and by, he got persecuted because of his lifestyle. He changed lifestyle. He began to live like a Christian should. The word, he was tasting and seeing and living this word. He was putting it to practice. And one day it brought him persecution. And the Bible said he was offended at this word. Or maybe he was singled out for persecution. Somebody just needled him and wouldn't leave him alone, mocked his religion, made fun of him. I've been there. And he esteemed being accepted by people more than he did being accepted by God. God was simply testing him to see if you really will walk this way or will enough pressure from the world cause you to quit. Well, he quit. Everybody has an excuse. People have excuses for all their failures. You can ask people why they only go to church on Wednesdays and they never come on Sundays. They would never say, because I don't want to. They usually say, well, uh, and then they have some little excuse. Why do I go on Sundays and not on Wednesdays? Well, it's because you don't want to. That'd be the right answer. Unless, of course, you're busy, work, and couldn't get away from work. I know there's legitimate reasons, but not all the time. But there's something about what's going on in this room, and we've been here a long time in many, 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 many meetings. There's something that goes on here that's supposed to stir us up, supposed to stir our souls. Something that's supposed to be like food. It's supposed to do something to us that develops us encourages us or edifies us or corrects us or convicts us. And I don't know if you're in tune with the Lord, how you can just walk away from it. I don't know why people do that. But the Bible says the one thing the devil singles in on, the one thing that Jesus is looking for when he comes back is the very thing in this hour that the devil is working on to talk people out of and it's faith. So what do we preach? Well, I hope we're guilty. I am, I hope I'm guilty at the end of my life that I have preached faith. I haven't mentioned it or read verses where the word faith is used, but preached about it, tried to explain it. And not just try to explain it, but had the experience of it myself. It would be hard for me to truly explain to you with any kind of passion something that I don't do myself. I could tell you what somebody else did and you would know that that's good, but if I tried to be real sincere about it, you would know, well, why don't you live it? So we talk about faith. We live faith. I mean, the Bible magnifies the subject as much as anything in the whole New Testament. It's what Jesus is looking for when he comes back. It's not how busy you were, how much money you gave, how many meetings you went to, tapes you listened to. He's after one thing. Were you a believer? In Peter's little epistle in 1 Peter 1, he says, when it's over, we will receive the end of our faith, the salvation of our souls. If we let go of it or depart from it before the end, we get nothing. That's how fatal it is. God holds us to a fine line. But why shouldn't he? 
Why shouldn't he? That's just the way that he wants to do it. I want to show you in the scripture several places where the Bible, the New Testament describes this turning away from God. Now, again, I don't know why. I cannot imagine where I stand tonight giving this up to go back to the way I used to live nearly 41 years ago. What do I get? Well, you really, you don't get anything. You lose. What do I get if I stay in this life? Heaven? Well, then I'd be a fool to turn back, wouldn't I? But isn't the devil able to talk people out of it? He is. He's able to talk people just like you, just like you folks sitting here. The devil gives you things to think about. You're around where he is talking to you and, you know, through the media and your friends and everybody else. Whenever you're out there in the world, you're around stuff that he's doing and saying. And people are always talking about this, talking about that. But you know what? The devil never makes any sense because of one thing. Every man's going to die. There's nobody in this room that'll live forever unless you're here. When Jesus comes, you will die. You will be buried. And if you die without Christ or having known him, turned away from him or didn't want to live it his way and found another way, another group lived another way and you joined them and, and you counted on that to work, you'll die another death. Christianity is not easy. And it really isn't cheap. It costs you everything. Some folks say it costs you nothing to be a Christian. It costs you everything. You are constantly required to die to something because you can't live unless something dies. Second Thessalonians chapter two and verse three, a chapter in the Bible that talks about the antichrist, the days that are just about here now, if they're not already here. Verse three, let no man deceive you or mislead you by any means. For that day shall not come except first there come a falling away. And that man of sin be revealed, the son of perdition. Now we would call this man the Antichrist. You're living at a time in your lifetime, all of us here, this man will be revealed. He won't come on the stage saying to the world, I am the Antichrist. He simply comes on the world stage at a time which the world is in chaos. And it's headed that way right now. Chaotic. Wars and rumors of war like it's never been. The wars there are rumors of now are nuclear wars. Devastating wars. We could drop a bomb in World War II that would kill 30,000 people. They got them today that wipe out several million. And countries that shouldn't have such weapons have them. And they have no logical reason in their warped way of thinking not to use them. I believe if Iran had that bomb, and I'm not sure they don't have most of the components of it, if they had it, I'm sure they would use it. They would put it on something they could rock it off from Iran and, and go as far as it can go and do something. Because they're crazy. That is, they are mentally Unbalanced. In this hour, this is what demons do to people. You lose your sense of right and wrong. You lose your sense of, of obligation to mankind. You live for one goal, to do what I want to do, to destroy and to kill. And we're living in that hour right now also. 
But this Antichrist will come on when the world is on edge. And he'll have the answers. And the answers that everybody seeks is not stop the wars, it's do something to make my money come back. I want my money. I want a job. I want security. I'll vote for anybody that'll get me a job and security. I don't care if it is socialist. Because money rules so many people's thinkings. And the devil talks in logical ways that way to people, and people think that way. But anyway, he said, this man of sin shall be revealed, and he will only be revealed after, first of all, there's a falling away. Now, the word falling away means defection, a defection from truth. It means to forsake. Forsake what? The faith. There are going to be people, the devil is going to say, look, this is not working. I mean, you look around here, you are not going anywhere. You're not growing, you're not big greater numbers, you're, there's nothing being changed here. You're doing something wrong because you're not becoming bigger. Something's wrong here. You need to change your plan. You need to start over again. I've known the people who've left here and gone to other places and said, I've had to unlearn everything I learned and start all over again. What a travesty that is. Now, it may not show up yet, but it will be. Somebody's going to regret saying that. Oh, for the rest of their life. But in the ninth verse, it talks about him whose coming is after the working of Satan with all power and signs and lying wonders. This is how the Antichrist and the false prophet is going to come. In verse 10, and with all deceivableness of unrighteousness in them that perish. Now, who's he talking about that's going to perish? Those who receive not the love of the truth, that they might be saved. Let me ask you a question just on that verse. How is it then that men are saved? Uh, just this one verse. Men are saved because of the way they act, because they love the word. But he said they did not receive the word as something they love. There was something about the word of God that was to them offensive in which the world had a better way of doing it or a more profitable way of living day by day than God's way. There's not a lot of people living this way and so we tend to think that reality is in numbers and if there's not a lot of people living God's way then maybe God's way is not the only way and they see all these other places that have changed the way the word says things to the way they want it to speak and everybody seems to be living that way and they're doing fine. Well, they may seem to be doing fine but there's only one way that's right. There's only one way that'll ever be right and it's not by any man's concoction or idea, it's by this word right here, this book. Like the Bible said, if they speak not in Isaiah 8:20, if they speak not according to this word, they have no light. If they have no light, they walk in darkness. And darkness means blindness, and blindness means you can't see where you're going. Go over a couple more books to Titus chapter 1. And verse 13 through 16. This witness is true, wherefore rebuke them sharply that they may be sound in the faith. Because if you are in the faith, your life changes. This arguing and fighting and fussing and name calling has to go. You can't be sound in the faith and be sound in a political structure. How many of you know that all Christians in politics fuss? 
You couldn't be a good Republicrat if you did not fuss. You've got to find faults. You've got to major on faults. You've got to make people look bad. You've got to push and shove. Listen to what it said. You're not sound in the faith if you do that. So what's the church have to do? Tell people you can't do that. He said that they might be sound in the faith because if you're still acting like the world, then you're not sound in the faith. Verse 14, not giving heed to Jewish fables and commandments of men that turn from the truth. How would you know if some man had turned from the truth? That's a good question. You turn on the TV or go down the street or find a convention somewhere, and how do you know if what you're hearing is the truth? How do you know if the person that's talking to you has departed from the truth? How would you know? And I don't think we're supposed to go in there and sit in a pew and hold a Bible and scout that guy speaking. You better say that. Oh, you misquoted that, but don't. How would you know? How would you know if somebody had turned away from the truth? Verse 15. Unto the pure all things are pure, but unto them that are defiled and unbelieving. That's what liberalism is. Nothing is defined in liberal theology or politics. Everything that is controversial or difficult is gray. So therefore, nobody is wrong, and yet nobody is right. It's every man is whatever seems best to you. Preachers in churches, when you get a difficult subject like divorce and remarriage, they don't want to deal with that because of the cost of dealing with that. They don't want to make plain what they believe about that because that will surely offend somebody. And you can't preach on that subject without offending somebody. You can't. Strong passions there. Or politics today. Even Santa Claus. Some people are still strong about that. Tongues. So the preacher sort of makes a gray area out of these things. And the people sitting in the churches don't know what's right or wrong. The devil tells them they can marry four or five times if they want to. Or it's all right to go to Disney World and ride the demon chopper, whatever they have down there. Or it's all right to do a lot of things that Christians shouldn't do. How do they know whether they're doing the right thing? Nobody's taught them. And then to their own fault, they've looked for a nice quiet church in which they don't get condemned by the word. So they sit there like little Christians do and... They don't know the right from the wrong because there's just a gray area here. Look at it again. Unto the pure all things are pure, but to them that are defiled, those that are spotted and defiled or polluted, he said even their mind and conscience is defiled. They profess that they know God, but in works they deny him being abominable and disobedient and unto every good work reprobate. You can get by with being disobedient in a place in which obedience is never defined. You can get by with being vile in your theology if you've never been anywhere they haven't taught theology. When there's no rule of law, whether that is when there's no word to judge everything by, 
And every man does that which is right in his own eyes. And because of the liberal freedoms that most churches grant their people, you can do more or less what you want to, you know. You can run around and live with each other, you know, as long as your heart's good. <laughs> do a little social drinking, mess up here, mess up there. I mean, come on, nobody's perfect, they say. You can't live the Sermon on the Mount. That's not for this hour. Nobody can live that way. And when you start telling people you can't live everything God wants you to live, then the reason you excuse yourself from living a holy life is because somebody told you you can't. Well, if you can't live a holy life, what kind of life do you live? You would never call it unholy because you'd condemn yourself then. You know what unholy means. If you've convinced yourself, I cannot live a holy life, then what do you call what you live? Semi-holy? Pseudo-holy? This is the last day I keep harping, and I know it sounds offensive or it sounds ugly to a lot of things, but I've already made up my mind before I got out here. I don't really care what an unbelieving and a dying world thinks about the truth. The only thing they could have had that would have set them free was truth. If they've turned away from it, God can blind their eyes from ever seeing it. And they're doomed. They made a fatal decision. They looked away from the word to something else, chose to go that way, convinced themselves that because I had been in the faith for what, 20 years, 30 years? Huh, I'm all right. Not necessarily. I'm sure there were men that Jesus spoke of in Matthew 7 who had been in the Christian faith a long time, long enough to learn about miracles and ministries. And Jesus said, I never knew you. Those are some thought-provoking scriptures. They are to me. And then he said again in verse 15, if I can say that again, at the end of it said, even their conscience, their mind and their conscience is defiled. Does your Bible say something like that? Their mind is defiled. How did it get that way? Some people quit the Christian faith quickly. Maybe their girlfriend broke up with them. A lot of people would never come back to church because of that. Well, as long as she's in there, I'm not going. Well, the reason you came was because of her, not God. Your life revolved around an association and not a relationship. Well, that guy in there lied to me. I asked him to do a job and he didn't do very good and he wouldn't pay me back or something. I ain't going back to that church. Well, that's your business. But what is it? What is it that causes people to treat people wrong, to act wrong, to make wrong decisions. Some people will say they just quit all of a sudden. Ah, I'm through with it. Other people quitting slowly. I'm watching that now. Of course, I'm not going to call names, at least not yet. But I just see a slowly, just a little gradual turning away. Somebody used to come in every meeting. They're there. They're ready to go. Song service starts. There's never a meeting they attended that they didn't praise the Lord to some dimension, some way. And then time, babies, jobs, money, trouble, problems, and they kind of just slow down and worship becomes tedious. I have to really work at it to get my, with my hands lifted, 
up. Something's wrong in the heart. Something is dying. Now, they don't know they're dying. That's why I wait till they get here. When they're all here, I tell them they're dying. But sometimes you get so tired of hearing it, your conscience and your mind begins to rule out that that's actually true. And they begin to fade. And then you sear this conscience. You sear it and it doesn't affect you anymore. Then you can miss a month of church. You can miss a lot of important meetings. I've seen too many people that I knew many, many years ago. People that any time you visited with these people, you talk about the word. Sit down and talk. Sometimes up into the wee hours of the morning talking about the gospel, Jesus Christ, and, and praising the Lord for this, and talking and telling, and just sitting there and chomping at the bit a long time. Now you run into these people now. When they do attend, they got their arms folded. They have no comment and very little comments about Jesus. Just a lot of criticism. Seem like they always find something wrong. Always something wrong with the procedure, with a gesture, a statement. There's always something wrong. Some people, it takes a long time. It takes 15, 20, 30, 35 years to slow down to just about in nothing. And they don't even realize it because they can look back 30 years and remember the glory days when they were whooping and hollering, but they can't see that there's not a trace of that, not even a trace of it today. Well, Brother Hamilton, would you say they're departing from the faith? I do. I do. I say anybody that's been turned on and is now turned off has departed from the faith. Say amen. They've departed. They have withdrawn. They have uh, defected. Why? What hasn't God promised? What has he not done? What way has he failed us? I mean, we'll tolerate the failures in the world and still hope it works. But if God fails us just what we think failing, if he just doesn't come through one time, we don't want to go back to church anymore. You go to a doctor and he can make a mistake, you'll go again. If you do that, they can give you a shot in the wrong arm or cut the wrong leg off, whatever they do. And you'll go back again. And yet if God, in your own way of thinking, just didn't support you one time in your life, Boy, you're mad at him. You won't ever go back to church. But you'll stay with this vile world out here until you die in it. Now, if you've known the Lord and you've come to that, you have already departed from the faith. And I'm not talking to you right here. I'm talking about whoever this is for. And those people can fold their arms and look you right in the eye and have no desire to hear what you have to say. In fact, they want you to hurry up and quit. They used to sit all morning. Now they want you to get it over with. Titus tells us about that. Go over to 2 Timothy. 2 Timothy chapter 4. You're familiar with this. 4 and verse 2. Preach the word. Isn't it amazing how God keeps saying that? Keeps coming back to the word. The word. 
the word, the ink on the paper that you can read. Preach the word. Be instant in season and out of season. Reprove and rebuke. Exhort with all long-suffering and doctrine. Here's why you do it that way. Verse 3, for the time will come when they that you're preaching to will not endure sound doctrine. But after their own lust shall they heap to themselves teachers having itching ears. They haven't quit religion. They haven't departed from some form of Christianity. They've departed from the hearing of the word. Do you see that? That's the problem. It's what the Bible says that turns them off. It's what some gifted man says that turns them on. All right, let's keep going. The time will come they will not endure sound doctrine, but after their own lust shall heap to themselves teachers having itching ears, and they shall turn away their ears from the faith and shall turn aside unto fables. That's man's version. The commandments of men. The turning away here, the word turn away is the same as the word depart in 1 Timothy 4.1. So turn away and depart refer to the same thing, but he says, and they shall turn away. Why? Because they're going to listen to the wrong thing. The right thing was the word of God. They probably went somewhere had a friend who told them the word, the word located them, brought conviction in their hearts, made you feel real uncomfortable, and you didn't like that feeling because you knew you had to deal with it. It's like wrestling with God. <laughs> so they turned away from that, and they turned aside to man. Like my daddy was a Catholic. He didn't study the Bible. He never read it. He was told it was wrong. It would be a sin for him to read the Bible because he might get it wrong. He depended on this priest. And all he knew about the Bible, if he knew anything at all, was what that priest told him. God help mankind. If that's the best they've got, God help us. God sent his spirit to anoint our hearts so that we can tell if what we're hearing is right or wrong. Just like if any man speak not according to this word, he has no light. I heard one the other night. I just happened to look for one I hadn't heard, and I didn't know if he's still preaching or not. Mr. JDS himself, he was telling something about the love of God. He didn't get a minute into his sermon, and I talked to the I said, I, 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 that's not right. People like that because you sound so authoritative because people like to follow strength. So this guy could tell with such authority that it couldn't be wrong and people follow that and they're misled. And you come back and say, that's not right. And they say, well, who follows you? Well, I really don't want anybody to follow me. I'd rather follow Jesus. I'd rather just point them all to him because he's much more interesting to follow than a man. I'm not looking for a crowd. I'm looking for truth because this is the only thing that I have ever found and what the Bible says will make me free. That is, I'll be at peace with God if I'm living in harmony with this word. Look at Hebrews, Hebrews chapter 3 and look at verse 12. 
Take heed, brethren, lest there be in any of you an evil heart of unbelief in doing what? Now, in light of what the other scriptures said, and you add those with this, would it not be true that if you have heard the way of righteousness, the word of God, and you have turned away from that to some form of it or some likeness of it that a lot of people are grasping and getting, but it's not exactly the word, is that not an evil heart that's misleading you? How good would that sound? If you told a sincere follower of something that was wrong, you have an evil heart of unbelief. Well, you're getting ready to fight. Man does not naturally want to be told he's wrong, especially about religion. This is the one thing for generations we've been taught. It's personal, it's private, and every man has a right to believe whatever he wants to. Well, he does have that right. But that never makes it right. And then people don't like to talk about religion, but they don't mind talking about views and theories and ideas or philosophies of man or philosophical views of the Bible and so forth. They just don't want to hear the word. I know you've heard me say that before, but I know that's true. They just don't want to hear that. Look in Hebrews 10, the last two verses of, of Hebrews 10. These are two of the most solemn scriptures in all the Bible. They take your breath out. If you think about it, Verse 38, now the just shall live by faith. His only connection with being right is his faith. The only thing that can link you to justification or being made right with God just as if I'd never sinned is faith. You can't earn it. God doesn't send you a document. You don't get a diploma. You just take him at his word. At some point in your life, you say, I believe. No matter what kind of curveball life throws you, what kind of consequences or circumstances you find yourself in, you've got for the rest of your life to live like it's true, even though you can't prove it and you can't see it. You got to live like it's true. It's faith. Faith is counting on God to be what he said he was, counting on God to do what he said he would do, counting on God that everything is going to end the way he said it would end. How would we prove there's a heaven or a hell tonight? You won't get that on National Geographic. You have to believe it. If hell loses its meaning to you, then you'll turn from it. Heaven is real because the Bible says it is. Hell is also real because the Bible says it is. And when a man dies, there's only two ways he goes. There's no intermediary. There is no purgatory. He either goes to heaven or he goes to hell. You either were right with God and stayed right by choosing to live like it's true and therefore acceptable to God, or you heard about it, and when you change your views about it and you live differently than it said, the answer to that is there is a way that seemeth right unto man, but the end thereof are the ways of what? Death. Death. Why should that be so offensive to people? I can say back in the early days, again, as I alluded to earlier, when I began studying the Bible, things like that never offended me. I listened to some tapes in those old days that Others would listen to him and say, man, I, I, whew, 
I can't take much of that. That's too hard. And I would listen to it, and I think, hard, it's true. It's not only true, but when it verifies the word, it's life. If what you say is what God says, it's truth. The only basis for life is truth. Outside of that word is nothing but falsehood. Misleading, deceptive falsehood. You shouldn't be offended because the word is hard. Remember in John chapter 6 when Jesus said, eat of his flesh and drink of his blood, and oh, the multitude turned away from him. Jesus said to his disciples, to Peter, I guess, will you also go with them? Remember what Peter said? This man hadn't been a Christian very long, but he was walking with the living word. He was walking with the incarnate God, Emmanuel, God with us. God was in Christ, wasn't he? And he's walking with him face to face in a fleshly body, sitting around him, listening to him talk all the time. Every chance he got, Jesus was speaking to these men. And he spoke some things that were hard. And they all left. He said to Peter, are you going with them? At the end of John 6, he said, where would I go? Where would we go? Thou hast the words of life. He didn't say you're the only one we've ever seen who can work miracles. You're the only one we've ever seen who can prophesy and tell what's going on and tie these lawyers and Sadducees and Pharisees and scribes in a knot. He said, you're the only one that has the word. Remember what he said to Mary when Martha was busy in the kitchen and he said, Martha, Martha, thou art troubled about so many things. This is at, in the end of Luke 10. He said, you're troubled about so much. He said, but Mary has chosen that good part which shall not be taken from her. He said, only one thing is necessary. One thing is necessary. And Mary has chosen that. You know what she did? She listened to his word. And yet today, people hear it, feel offended by it. He knew when I came here that I was having trouble with drugs. Why do you have to mention it about drugs? It's like, don't get me convicted. Accept me and, you know, just tolerate me, but don't, don't make me deal with anything. And yet a lot of preachers don't. They leave them to themselves. They leave them to their sins. They leave them alone. Court their favor use them as stepping stones to a, a bigger job and a reputation. And those people die and they perish. That's how serious what we're doing is. Maybe it's because I'm getting older or maybe it's the t time that we're in. But it's beginning to make a lot more sense that verse about working out your salvation with fear and trembling because not everybody's going to make it. Jesus said only only a few. Some people are too busy to make it to heaven. They'd be uncomfortable there. Some people have let go of this world or letting go of this world and getting rid of it just little by little because they don't want this world and they just want Jesus. They long for that place. The Bible says in this last days, this whole creation is groaning, awaiting for a manifestation of the sons of God to come forth because that'll signal that we're there. It's another sermon. 
another sermon now. Hebrews 10, 38. Now the just shall live by faith, but if any man turns back, my soul shall have no pleasure in him. And Paul said, if he wrote in Hebrews, verse 39, he said, we are not of those who draw back to perdition. That means destruction. But we are those who believe to the saving of the soul. Let me ask you all a question, if this was a class. What is it that secures a soul? What is the basis for Christian security? Now, I believe in the security of the believers. Most of your Baptists today preach that, and I don't know if they really understand what that's all about, but I personally believe in the security of the believer. There's nothing better in this world you can do than believe God. It came from God, the ability to believe God, and to exercise that faith is to secure you. What did he say in that verse I just read there? You're secured by what? By believing. You believe to the saving of the soul. Again, it's like 1 Peter 1, 7. You receive the end of your faith, the salvation of your souls. You've got to believe every day. You can't stop at any time and say, well, I'm not going to press in for this miracle or this healing or this marriage or this child or for my money. I've done all of that. You never finish believing. Not in this life. You are constantly going to believe until Jesus comes. That's what he's looking for. When the Son of Man returns, will he find faith? Will there be those believers who threw away their calendars and said, well, for the last 30 years of it, you'll believe to the end. you believe to the end. Because if you don't endure to the end, what happens to you? It's not good, is it? It's not good. Now, what causes this departure? Let me tell you what I think it is. 2 Corinthians chapter 4. I think this is what causes it. This is one man's opinion, all right? You can take it or leave it tonight. 2 Corinthians 4 and verse 3. But if this word, if the gospel is hid, if the gospel is hid, it is hid to whom? then we can say this, get every saved man, to everybody who is legitimately saved, the gospel is not hid, is it? I mean, it's not some word that you don't know where it is. It doesn't have a bland meaning. That is, it's not a meaningless word that, you know, I don't know what it means, but it doesn't matter. It's never like that. The next verse says, in whom the God of this world, that would be the devil, hath blinded the minds of whom? Them which believe not, lest the light of the glorious gospel of Christ, who is the image of God, should shine unto them. Well, now, if people were not blinded by the devil, then what would happen to them? If people were not blinded by the devil to where they can't see, what would happen? Well, if you weren't blind, then the light of the gospel would shine in. And you would see something. What would you see? You would see Christ. He said the next verse, say, we preach not ourselves, but Jesus Christ the Lord and ourselves your servants for his sake. For God who commanded light to shine out of darkness has shined in our hearts to give light of the knowledge of the glory of God, which is in the face of Jesus. Amen. 
And he becomes the focal point of your whole life. He's the one you trust in. He's the one you count on. He's the reason I want to be healed. He's the reason I want to prosper or be out of debt. He's the reason. Personally, I grew up willing to be sick. Because as far as I knew, that's all you did. And I was pretty much sick regularly. I was willing to be in debt because I figured that's the only way you'll ever have anything. I was willing to live way below the level. I was willing to go to church. I was willing to do everything the way I had figured it out, that that's just the way it is. But I had never made a choice to live the way he wants me to live because nobody ever told me how he wanted me to live. Didn't know anything about it. As you begin to read what he said and what he says about it, you realize, like my wife said to me years ago after we went to hear Hobart Freeman, the first time we ever heard him back in 1969. And we came home, my wife said, we've been robbed. Now I know what rob means. I know what that means. I wouldn't, huh? I knew what that meant. We have been talked out of all the good things that God had for us. We've been deceived and misled by our churches. Nobody ever told us of the kind of life that God has for us because nobody ever lived it in the first place. Chances are the preachers who went to their seminaries were told by those old dead theologians there that these things weren't sure things. You couldn't believe that. That's just good to talk about it, but don't ever make the people think that can happen because it, it just doesn't do that. You can't tell God what to do. And therefore, they taught it the way they heard it from educated minds. And we sat out there and heard such drivel, and it came into our hearts and our parents' hearts, and we sat there willing to live way below the level God has for us because we've been talked out of. We've been robbed. We were blinded. The devil put a blinder over our eyes so that when somebody did say, we can be blessed, we thought, well, how can this be? I can't see how that would work. The eyes of our heart, we couldn't perceive and understand with our heart the wonderful things of God. We were blind. I'll leave the we out of it. I was blind. I know you all probably got it when you're in Sunday school, but I was blind. I couldn't see it. There was darkness in my life. I wasn't dead. I was very much alive. Living as whatever I could do. Just being a good old boy, going to college and having a big time. Coughing up blood and slowly dying of a lung disease, but I was doing my best. And one day, by the very goodness of God, after I got married, we heard the truth. And it was a complete turnaround because I began to ask the questions. Where does it say that? Where does it say that? Say it again. You got the tape? Did you get a tape? Yeah. Let me have it. Please. You get the tape and you listen to it and it tells you what verse it is. Stop, 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 stop. Pause. Stop. Where does it say that? Hmm. What things soever you desire, when you pray, believe you have received them and you shall have it. Now, God is not a man that he should lie. He didn't say this and mean something else. He meant what he said. Boy, you start thinking because this is how you relate to God. Lord, why haven't I heard that before? Because nobody ever believed it before. 
The only person you've ever heard in your whole life who believed what he said was what that man said on the tape. That's the only person in all of your life that has ever believed what God said. All these other people were talking about what it said, but nobody believed it. They talk a good game, but they live the way they always did. But this guy here, now you look at it and see what, boy, oh boy, there you go. Darkness. Does it say in John 3, 19 that men love darkness? You can go ahead and agree with me. It, it really does. This was a testimony that man had. They love darkness better than light. Could a man be in darkness preaching? I remember there was a church out in another part of the world. And the pastor there was a, he was a homosexual. Now, if he wants to be that, that's fine. That's his business. He doesn't have to be what I am or think I am. He can be whatever he wants to be. That's his right. But he doesn't have a right to live that way and preach this gospel. Because at some point, he's going to have to deal with something that's got to deal with his own heart. I was told the way this man was finally caught up with is a, the man that he was having an affair with heard him on the radio one day coming against homosexuals. And he thought, that's the guy I was with yesterday. What a hypocrite. Well, he's right. He was a hypocrite. So he exposed the guy and the church was shocked. How can you do that? Well, again, you can do that if you want to. I mean, you still have a soul, you're still a human being, but you can't do that and preach the book, in my opinion. In my opinion. So the man had to finally step down and the people were devastated. Preach the gospel. Preached it just, I mean, with fire and brimstone and, and came against stuff like that. Came against it while he was doing it. How many of you know a conscience was seared somewhere? Something was wrong somewhere in the connection here. Something was really out of base. Something was gone. I knew of a preacher once. He's dead now. I knew of a preacher once, and I knew him. And he became well-to-do financially because of some inheritance and stuff. And he began to make his church bigger, and he went from... You know, people like myself would just clamor about the word all the time and begin to get some prophets in there and some more spectacular, awe-inspiring ministries in there. Then I heard one day that the church is about to split right down the middle because this man and his wife had gone on a trip with another man and his wife, and they did some wife swapping on the trip. You spend the night with my wife tonight, I'll spend the night with your wife tonight. While he's been a preacher... Now, you want a wife swap? You the wife swap. I don't think there's a law that says you can't. Except the law of God. But you can do that if you want to. But you can't do that in the kingdom of God. I'm not saying you can't. I'm not the rule of life for anybody. I'm just saying is you can't do that and be a preacher. And there were some other things I'm sure that were going on. I began to hear things down the road. And one day, suddenly, this man dropped dead. Bang. Well, I don't think he's a happy camper tonight. I don't know anything about beyond the veil. I don't know what's on the other side. When you step from this life into the next life, I don't know what's there. 
But if you do come face to face with the Almighty, what do you say? What do you tell him? What if he said, on the basis of what do I allow you into my kingdom? What do you say? I had fun. I hit a lot of home runs. I was cute. I was a beauty queen. What do you tell him? I had a big church, a lot of following. I was a rock singer. I gave a million dollars to the. What do you say to God? I'm telling you, folks, it is so easy. It is so easy to start out right and get misled and come into an abundance where you get more money than you used to have. Maybe the person I was talking about earlier who slowed down a lot, maybe it's because uh, you get older in life and you got a lot of money. Got a little more time now to have a little more fun and surely God wouldn't mind if I take a couple months off. In verse four, the God of this world, that's the devil, has blinded the minds of those who quit believing. Has blinded their minds. Robertson's word study says this about the word blinded. He said, they refused to believe. And so Satan got the power to blind their thoughts. And that happens with willful disbelievers. Let me put it like this. Nobody makes us unbelievers. Nobody makes us disbelievers. We choose to do that. Just like we choose to believe God or we choose to love our brothers. Or we choose to run around on our husbands or our wives. We live by choices. But the one thing that's most damaging to all of this is when the devil comes into your life and begins to obscure or make unclear what the Bible says and you're no longer real sure about what you're doing and you're no longer happy about what you're doing. You no longer worship God for the expectancy of his word coming to pass because you're not really sure about that anymore. You're not really convinced of all of these things. And consequently, things happen. Look at verse 6. 2 Corinthians 4, 6. For God who commanded the light to shine out of darkness has shown in our hearts to give light of the knowledge of the glory of God which is in the face of Jesus. I believe this, that light, this is what I think it says, it's my opinion again, that when God gives light, does he not mean by that he gives revelation of the truth? Or he makes clear he makes clear, at least for a moment, maybe one meeting for half a minute in that meeting or for one hour of the whole meeting, he makes something real clear to you. I mean, you can't argue with it because you know, without anybody having to explain that to you, you know what that is. But the reason people don't like to teach the word anymore, or they don't mind hearing you preach about the word, they don't want you to teach them the word because teaching means explaining. Preaching, you can make a lot of statements in preaching and use a lot of cliches and talk about all the, you know, we're going to go on with God and we're going to, you can say things like that, people like that. What they don't want you to do is explain what going on with God means because that's discipleship. It's when you begin to teach that light begins to pierce. 
It's not just generalities anymore. It gets specific when you begin teaching. And the word becomes that two-edged sword that God drives into your life. And the Bible says that word, like a two-edged sword, divides asunder between what is soulish, natural, and what is spiritual. And you can't escape it when you're sitting there. I remember well how this works, and I still know how it works. You're sitting there, and you're hearing something, and, and it just slams right into your heart. And you think, hmm. Oh, God. A teacher in the church, a teacher in God's kingdom, is somebody who is dedicated or committed to explaining what the scripture says. That doesn't mean people want to hear that. Remember, I told you a story once about a lady. She said, if you're going to teach on Christmas, I'm not coming. That is, she didn't want to know why it wasn't right to do it. I don't want to know. But a teacher has to tell you why it's not right. Or else he can't say, I have not shunned to declare unto you the whole counsel of God. But when you begin to teach, you begin talking about total faith. You trust God for all your needs. He is your doctor. His word is medicine to your flesh. He is bigger than flus and diseases and sicknesses and all the things that trouble you. You teach people to trust the Lord. Not trust in the world system, but you trust in the Lord. You start teaching about separation, living a holy life, being a disciple of Jesus Christ. When you begin teaching on discipleship, people will leave you just like they left Jesus. You're not going to have a huge church in here talking about these things. People don't want to hear that. They want the amusements of it all. They want the entertaining value of it. They want to hear something that was fun and enjoyable and good to listen to. It just makes me feel so good. They don't want you to explain to them what the Bible means because when you start explaining what the Bible says, it pierces your heart. You got to deal with something. Has there been a week in your life ever that you haven't had to deal with something? Attitudes? Gossip? Backbiting, criticism, complaining, crying, pouting. See, I'm preaching to myself. Have you ever been there? Have you ever been accosted by the Lord? You ever grabbed you by a neck in a nice service in your new suit and just grabbed you in a big wrinkled mess? And the word comes out of the pulpit and that slams right into your heart and says, I'm talking to you. Now, the preacher said, you know, now I'm talking to you all. But God said, I'm talking to you. Now, I don't think he sounds like that. But that's the impact it has when the creator of all the earth has lowered himself down to where you are. To pierce your heart in such a way that you've got a choice to make. You can either turn and yield or you can reject it and turn away. You're going to make a choice. But because he loves you, he's going to tell you the truth. He's going to locate you and he's going to tell you the truth because he cares. He begins to tell you about separation from the world. Come out from among them and what? Be separate. And yet, too many people in the church have as their main friends people that don't believe half of what you're all supposed to believe. I still don't understand this. Why people that, that have sat here for years, it's not folks in the church they fellowship with. There's people outside the church who don't believe hardly anything. Or they say Jesus enough that makes you think that they believe everything. I don't understand a lot of things. I really don't. 
I have learned through the years that I have very little in common with most Christians. Now, I don't avoid them. I don't run away from them. I just know that when we start talking about things, eventually we're going to get into an argument. Because my mind says, you don't even know what you're talking about. And if you ever say that, like one guy told me one time years ago, he said, oh, I guess you think you've got all the truth. I said, no, but the Holy Spirit does. And he said he would lead us into all the truth. But I know what you're believing isn't right. And in this case, I know what I'm believing is right. Well, he didn't come back anymore, never came back. I'd hear from time to time things he'd said through the great battle. That's just the way it works. You see, when you start teaching the word, you start teaching things like non-resistance, turning the other cheek, the Sermon on the Mount. Oh, one man, one woman for life, period. Being humble, doing nothing for show. Big bundle of money. I mean, how humble is it to put a whole lot of money in some kind of a little container, drop it in an offering box, and nobody knows where it came from? And your mind is saying, well, at least give them a little indication of that it was you. I mean, after all, you might need a favor someday. I said, no, God's keeping records. I'll let him take care of it one day. You taught that in the Sermon on the Mount. To make yourself of no reputation. To humble yourself. To love your neighbor as yourself. And then to explain what that means to a whole lot of people. And boy, people load up. How can all of this be? We're going to begin our close, okay? Romans 13. In verse 14, this is what you teach. This is what holiness is. This is what discipleship is. In one verse, but put ye on the Lord Jesus Christ and make not provision for the flesh to fulfill the lust thereof. All those things you want to do that everybody else is doing and your heart says, no, 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 no. You shouldn't do that. Back off of it. Give it up. Turn it away. Put on Christ. What would he do? What would Jesus do? What would he do? What would he say in this situation? What would Jesus do to that person who told you how old they were at the traffic light? Would he roll down the window and say, pull over over here and we'll see about that. He'd probably just roll the window up and look the other way and say, the blood of Jesus or the blood of myself maybe. What would he do? Would he fight? Would he get in the name called the ball game? Would he say kill the umpire? Would he have a good old friendly game at the church league and then wind up arguing with the umpire and kicking a ball at the end of the day? Would he do that? Well, why are you playing? If you can't handle yourself any better than that, you're in the flesh. Say Amen. Give it up. Give it up. That's what he said. Now, in closing, God makes clear by the revelation of his word what his demands for discipleship are. He'll deal with your holidays. He'll deal with your dress. He'll deal with your attitudes. Deal with doctrines in the Bible. You stay in one place long enough. If there's a commitment to this word, there eventually... We're going to get to it, and you will find out about it, and you'll have to wrestle with the Lord and do something about it because that's the way the Lord does. And second thing he'll show you is not only 
what he ought to be doing, but teaching is like looking in a mirror. You hear the truth and you see yourself. Have you ever been bothered by your life? Have you ever been bothered by your shortcomings? Since you've been a Christian. You ever been bothered by how lazy, indifferent, or let me give you a new word, attitudinally dense you are? You ever been with somebody, watched something, saw something, talked about something, and just wound up throwing a little, you ever done that? Did it bother you? Hopefully everybody gets bothered here. We all get bothered by everything that's not right. And the only reason we will is because we've heard the word about it. If you've never been taught, you're around other Christians, they do a lot of things. I talked to a lady the other day, a church member, and I was asking her about somebody that we both knew. And uh, I said, well, how are they doing with the Lord? You know, all oh, that's good. All, you know, yeah, all oh, that's good. I thought, just like that. No big deal. Yeah, all oh, that's good. And I knew it wasn't. After 30 years of being in her church, in the system that they have and the way they do it, she came to view as a Christian anybody who either attended church or seemed sincere and sound. And as far as she was concerned, yeah, if you do that, you're all right. I'm, yeah. How are they doing with the Lord? Oh, oh that's fine. Yeah, all oh, that's good. And I remember listening to that and I'm thinking, boy, it's got to be better than that. I hope if somebody says, well, how's Hamilton doing with the Lord? Oh, it's just all right. All. <laughs> I'd sure read somebody say, oh, good. No, it's a more meaningful thing than that. That's where she was. So, the fatal departure tonight is that a person yields himself to the spirit of this age. A spirit that seems to be right because it's so religious. It has so much to do with religious ideas and religious things. But down on the inside, this fatal spirit, this worldly spirit hates to think that they have to live by what the Bible says. That's why they depart from the faith. When you start preaching it, they go somewhere that they don't preach it. Commandments of men, remember earlier, commandments of men who turn from the truth. They turn aside from the truth unto fables. That's a fatal departure because this sentence resting upon all of that is not a good one. Am I saying we should press in? I am. Am I saying that we ought to be concerned about all of us in this room? We ought to be concerned about how we stand before? We should. You can never take this for granted. You live one day at a time, and it's only acceptable if you live by faith. You've got to believe it. You've got to act like it's true. That's how you show you believe it. That's what God is looking for. When Jesus comes, he's looking for that. Amen. Heavenly Father, in the name of Jesus, I ask you to minister to us, even as we leave, even as we have come, that as we go, you will never leave us alone. That our ears will never be closed from the truth. 
Lord, even for those who are not here, who should be here, for whatever reason, they talk themselves out of it. I ask in the name of Jesus, that as you are in this hour restoring many people back to yourself, that you would likewise restore these people. Don't let them get caught up in this late hour in something that will destroy their souls. Grant us light and conviction. I ask in Jesus' name. Amen.